Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird Serving in the military leaves a lasting impact on a soldier's life. Sometimes it's for the good, a life straightened out and made better with service. Sometimes it leaves men and women with, with lasting emotional damage and, in some cases, mental issues. On September 6, 1949, a well-mannered, albeit withdrawn, young man, forever changed by the war, went on a rampage referred to as the Walk of Death. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Howard Unruh, born January 21st, 1921, was raised by a single mother in New Jersey. He was a shy boy, but was described as a hardworking and ambitious. He enlisted in the U.S. Army in his early 20s and became a decorated military man who saw active service in the Rhineland. He won a few medals, was considered a first-class soldier who was always on the up-and-up, and had a knack and love for guns and marksmanship. He was honorably discharged at the end of the war and returned to New Jersey to live with his mother. He found a new career as a sheet metal worker and enrolled at Temple University in Philadelphia in their school of pharmacy. But after just a month, he quit citing poor physical condition as the reason. Now back at home with his mother, Howard became known as the man who hung around his home Decorated in his medals, reading his Bible, and practicing shooting in his homemade shooting range he made in the basement. Because, you see, despite his military career being considered a success, it left Howard with lasting mental issues that became apparent to those close to him. What they didn't know was that Howard, as his relationships with all of those he came into contact with began to deteriorate, had begun compiling a mental list of all the neighbors he thought were making derogatory remarks about his character. On September 5th, 1949, Howard spent the day at a movie theater after being stood up for a date and did not return until 3 a.m. on the 6th. Just a few hours later, at 7 a.m., Howard ate a breakfast prepared by his mother, who was off to visit a friend, finished up around 9.20 a.m., and walked out of his home with a Luger P08 eight-round magazine and ammunition stashed in his pocket. 
The 28-year-old first stopped at the shop of a shoemaker, John Polarczyk, whom he shot and killed instantly. He then moved on to the barber shop owned by Clark Hoover. When he walked in, Clark was cutting the hair of a six-year-old boy, Oris Martin Smith. He shot Clark in the head and Oris in the neck. Both died instantly. He then ran to the River Road Pharmacy to kill neighbor Maurice Cohen. He and Maurice had been having a dispute for several months involving Howard's use of the Cohen's backyard to access his apartment, and it's believed that Maurice was his main target during these attacks. On his way to the pharmacy, a man named James Hutton was standing outside. Howard said excuse me, but when the man didn't move fast enough, he was shot and killed. He then entered the store and saw it was empty. But when he looked outside in the rear of the store, he saw both Maurice and his wife Rose running up the stairs into the apartment. Once inside, Maurice climbed through a window to the porch while Rose hid her 12-year-old son in one closet and she retreated into another. Howard entered the apartment and found the closet where Rose hid. He shot her three times through the door before opening it and shooting once more into her face. He then found Maurice's elderly mother trying to call police and shot her multiple times. Maurice was the last of the family to die when he was shot in the back, sending him backwards out of a window and onto the pavement. Howard then went back into the streets and stood in the middle of the road, causing a car to swerve and avoid hitting him. He then walked up to the driver, Alvin Day, and shot him, causing him to careen into the sidewalk. He then went into the tailor shop of Thomas Segrino. He was gone, but his wife Helga was there instead, and she became his next victim. Thomas was the only victim from Howard's list that was able to survive. He then went to a food store, found the doors locked, and shot through the window. Thankfully, no one was injured. He then approached a car waiting in the intersection and shot Helen Wilson, her nine-year-old son John, and her mother, Emma Matlick. He then shot at an unknown shape he saw in an apartment window, which happened to be two-year-old Thomas Hutchinson. When his caregiver saw the shooting, she collapsed and had to be treated for severe shock. Another car showed up and he shot inside of it, but all managed to escape. A man ran out of a nearby tavern and shot at Howard, but was unsure if he hit him and ran back inside. He began wildly shooting at a number of people across the street, but somehow managed to miss them all. Madeline Harris and her son Armand were hanging blankets outside of their home to dry. They were his next victims. They were both shot and severely injured, but ultimately survived the attack. At this point, Howard Unruh could hear the police sirens approaching. He retreated back into his apartment just as police began to surround the building. A gunfight ensued during which a journalist called Howard's home phone and asked for details about the current situation. The two had a very calm conversation in which the journalist asked how many he thought he had killed. He replied he wasn't sure, but he thought he, quote, had a pretty good score. And when asked about his motive, he claimed he didn't have time to go into that detail before saying, I'll have to talk to you later. A couple of friends are coming to get me. His voice trailed off, the gunfight continued, and only ended after tear gas bombs were thrown into the apartment. Howard then calmly surrendered to the police. In total, 13 people were killed during Howard Unruh's walk of death. A walk that, according to differing sources, lasted either 12 or just 20 minutes. Either way, that is a lot of human life lost in such a short time. Inside of his home, police found an arsenal of weapons, enough to do far more damage. A Bible opened to Matthew chapter 24 and books relating to sex hygiene, 
While in interrogation, Howard gave meticulous accounts of his actions and explained that the barber, cobbler, tailor, and pharmacist were all on his list of victims. Everyone else was just collateral damage. It wasn't until the end of the conversation that police realized that he was injured. That man from the tavern had not missed and Howard had been walking around with a bullet in his thigh, allowing the interrogation with no issues or complaints. He was taken to the same hospital where his victims were treated. Howard was charged with 13 counts of willful and malicious slayings with malice aforethought and three counts of atrocious assault and battery. But having been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, he was never brought to trial for his crimes. Instead, he spent the rest of his life at a hospital for the criminally insane until his death on October 19, 2009. His last public words during an interview with, with a psychologist were, I'd have killed thousands if I had enough bullets. One last morbid fact before you go. Maurice and Rose Cohen's son, Charles, who survived the attack by hiding in the closet, went on to have a granddaughter named Carly Novell who survived the February 14th, 2018 shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 7th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy to listen to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again and have a wonderful day.